Well, good morning. Last Sunday was an amazing day, wasn't it? A wonderful day as we watched hundreds of you coming down the aisle and buying bottles of water so that we could restore two wells in Uganda. Our missionaries there, Doug and Jennifer Lawson, told us of two villages that had to return to drinking polluted water from the nearby lake because their wells had become unusable. Disease and death are now real realities for the people in the villages of Kayanja and Basuyi. These next two pictures will show you what water they're currently drinking. This is water from the lake that they have to drink. Go back to that one for a moment. This is water from the lake that they have to drink. The other option is to the next one. This is water from the sump near the lake. And that's their only two options when they are thirsty. That's the water they're drinking. And so we started last Sunday selling 700 bottles of water, telling you that if we could just get $15 a bottle, if you could somehow give us that, that would raise $10,000 that we need to put these two wells back into operation in these two villages. And, but we also said you may not have $15, you might have 2 or $3, and, and you can give that and buy a bottle of water, or you can give $100 and buy a bottle of water. Uh, so that we could meet this critical need in these two villages, and so that we could tell them about the one who can quench the thirst of their soul. So you responded last Sunday in an amazing way. You were so generous. In one Sunday, here's what we've already collected. $8,655.22. That is an amazing number when you realize that you didn't know to bring money with you. You didn't know to plan for an offering. You spontaneously, graciously, generously gave so that we could restore these two wells in these two villages. Now, as you see, we still have bottles of water for sale here today. And if my math serves me correctly, $1,344.78, not counting, that's what we still need to take in. And that doesn't take into consideration what may have come in today. But there's, at the end of the invitation, or the end of the service, at the invitation, I'm going to ask you to come again, just like you did last Sunday. If you've got 2 or $3, come and buy a bottle of water. If you've got $5, buy a bottle of water. If you've got $15, buy a bottle of water. If you've got $100, whatever you can give, buy a bottle of water so that we can put these wells back in operation in Africa. I ask you also to share your stories, and I heard it from a couple of you. Uh, Landon Johnson is a, one of the boys in our church, and he heard about this need at Kids Point last Sunday in our Kids Point ministry. And so he asked his mom to buy him some water bottles, and she did. And he took them to school on Friday. And then after school on Friday, he walked the hallways of the school telling the story of his friend Wyatt, who had moved to Uganda, and the need to restore wells there and fix the wells. And he asked his teachers to buy a bottle of water for $5, and he sold six bottles of water. Praise the Lord. And, and, and he's got some more bottles of water he's heading back on Monday, going to walk the halls after school again on Monday to sell some more water. And remember that when we, if we get over, and I think we will, the $10,000, I'm pretty sure we're going to go over that. And if we do, we're going to give whatever we get over that uh, to the Lawsons to go towards their housing expenses that are, that are coming up in June or July. And then I had a letter from, or an email from Mike Nelson he took a little different approach. He, he said, I, I sat down and I, on, on average day, this is what our household uses for water. On an average day, we use water for one pot of coffee, a gallon of iced tea, 
25 cups of drinking water, one gallon for our pets, one to two gallons for cooking, one to two loads in the dishwasher, another 20 gallons or so to wash pots and pans. Brother, that is a lot of pots and pans. 20 <laughs> Two loads of laundry, 25 trips to wash our hands, 15 flushing in the restroom, five 15-minute showers, and he put in parentheses, more if you have daughters. Amen to that. <laughs> amen, amen. And then he, he said some other things, and then he closed with this. He said, and every single drop is 100% consumable without a second thought. No boiling, no walking miles to retrieve it, no facing crocodiles or flesh-eating bacteria. No worries, it will run dry. Not wondering that if you give it to your children, if you're poisoning them to death. And he said, we live, we truly live in the land of milk and honey. And I agree, we certainly do. One out of eight people in the world lack access to safe drinking water. One out of eight people in the world lack access to safe drinking water. But with your help, we are going to change that stat for two villages in Uganda. Praise the Lord. So, we've been in this short series that I'm simply calling Thursday. And last Sunday, we looked at John 7.37 that says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me to drink. That's what Jesus said. And we said last Sunday that Jesus is the only one who can quench the thirst of your soul. Now today, we're not going to be in John. Some of you got your Bibles. That's great. Run to Revelation. Because we're going to look at something that the Bible says in Revelation. Very similar. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21, verse 6. Listen to what the Word of God says here. He said to me, John is writing this, and John says, God said this to me. And here's what God said. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is what? Thirsty. I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Now, Revelation 21 is one of those big chapters in the Bible that, that, that we always turn to. And one of the things that Revelation 21 speaks about, the, if you will, the, the, the foundation of Revelation 21 is that it's a description of the end of times and specifically of our eternal home that we would call heaven. Probably nothing has been written about in Christianity as much as heaven. But it's interesting that when Jesus was referring to heaven, that in verse 6 he talked about the people who were going to be in heaven. And he said the only people who will be in heaven are those that he characterized as thirsty. Heaven is for thirsty people, is what Jesus is saying in verse 6. But to really get the impact of this verse, I really think we need to back up to verse 1 and kind of walk our way through those first five verses. So I'm just going to read verse 1, make some running commentary. Verse 2, make some commentary. Verse 3, etc. Until we come back to verse 6. So let's start in verse 1 and see the whole context of what Jesus said, or what God said. Chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now when God tells us about the extraordinary future that awaits us as believers, God refers to this extraordinary future as new. And He refers to it as a new heaven and a new earth. He says a new heaven and a new earth will be created. Now it's difficult for us to imagine that the place that we inhabit upon our deaths is not going to be actually the eternal heaven we will 
will occupy. You see, when you die, your spirit immediately goes into the, spirit, into the presence of God. You go to what we would call heaven. When you take your last breath, if you know Christ is your Lord and Savior, the moment you take your last breath, your spirit immediately goes to be with the Father, and you are in heaven. But that's not your eternal resting place. No, after Christ comes back, this world will be destroyed, Satan will be judged, and God is going to create something new. He's going to create a new place, a new dimension, and he calls it a new heaven and a new earth, and it will be a completely new environment. It'll be the glorious place that we would then call heaven, or that we might simply call home. And he goes on to describe it this way, verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride and beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Now notice that John sees the city coming down from heaven. He sees this coming down from God. And the direction is significant. The direction is downward. This is not an old Jerusalem that has been rebuilt by human hands. This is not an old Jerusalem that has been refurbished by someone. Rather, this is a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And John is describing it when he says it comes down from God. John is describing it as a gift from God. This is something God is going to give you. And like the original Jerusalem, when God in the original Jerusalem dwelt among His people in the temple... This is to be a place where God will come to live with His people. This new Jerusalem says that God will live with them. God's going to live with us here on this new heaven, this new earth. You see, the fellowship that we once had with God was destroyed by Adam and Eve in the original sin. Everything was ruined by that. But God one day will completely restore His original intention. And so now let's pick up the story again, verse 4. When God creates this new heaven, this new earth, He says He will wipe away, or He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more pain, no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything what? New. Then He said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. There will be some things you will never have to deal with again. Somebody, you better get ready to say amen, because you're going to appreciate what I'm about to tell you. There's, there's going to be some things you never have to deal with again. First of all, it says He will wipe every tear from their eyes. You know, the tears that we shed here often come from sin's distortion of God's purposes. For example, the death of a loved one is a direct result of the sin that entered the world and distorted God's purposes for Adam and Eve. When God creates a new heaven and a new earth, everything associated with human sin and sorrow will be removed. Everything. We'll be living in an environment that is so different from the world in which we now live that the best way that John could describe this environment was with the phrase, no more. Look what he says in verse 4. He said, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be, look at this, no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. 
It will be a world that is not touched or tainted by the enemy. It will be a world that is not touched or tainted by sin. It will be a world where death is a thing of the past. There will be no more funerals, no more graves, no more surgeries, no more hospitals. There will be no more broken homes, no more broken hearts, no more broken hopes. The sin that has ruined this world will not be allowed to ruin that one. The things that brought us pain on earth will not be there in that one. Those things will be missing in heaven. John says they will be no more. Now, when you get to heaven, we have this wonderful assurance. John says, let me describe it to you this way. He says, for the old order of things has passed away. And then to make sure that you understand he's telling you the truth, John says in verse 5, He who was seated on the throne, whoever seated on the throne is in charge. Would you agree? Alright, so he who is seated on the throne, the one who is in charge, said, I'm making everything new. You're heading toward a place, you're heading toward a day, if Christ is your Lord and Savior, where though everything is painful here, there everything will be new. And then he said, listen to this, write this down. John, John, you taking notes? John, take notes, write this down. Write this down. I want there to be a record. Because these words are trustworthy and true. Everybody look at your pastor for a moment. I want you to know something. These words are trustworthy and true. Now, I've just described for you what the end of time is going to be like and where we're heading if we know Christ as Savior. My question for you is this, are you interested in going? Sound like a good, good place? You want something you'd like to be a part of? That's what verse 6 is all about. Verse 6 tells us who can go there. He said to me, it is done. Now what did God mean when he said it was done? He meant this, the redemptive task of Jesus was completed. It is done, listen to this church, it is done means you don't have to do anything else to add to what God has done. Everything that you need done in order to go to heaven has already been done. And it was not done by you, it's done by God. It was done for you. And so, you don't need to add anything to what God has accomplished. It is done. Now, whether you receive it or not is a whole different matter. But from God's perspective, God is saying, Listen, I just want you to know, if you want to go to this place called heaven, if you want to spend eternity with me, then the ticket is paid for, it's done. It's already there. It's already waiting on you. All that is necessary for you to have a relationship with God, all that is necessary for you to go to heaven, I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, it is done. You don't add anything to it. Then he goes on to say this. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. Here, he is telling us who has done the dunning. That's not good English, but it's a good point. Here, he, my, my daughter's an English major. She's going to really fuss at me after this. Here, he's telling us who is the one who has completed this? 
Who is the one who has made this possible? Who is the one who has declared it is done? Well, let me tell you who the one is who has declared it is done. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha and Omega are two Greek letters in the Greek alphabet. Two, two letters in the Greek alphabet. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. That's why he says, I am the beginning and the end. The Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the, and the end. Like in your English language, I am the A and the Z. And one of the things about preaching two times is that you get to correct your mistakes. I didn't know it until after the service. Somebody came up and told me, said, Pastor, I was greatly offended at what you said. Now, I could tell they were joking. I said, what did I say this time? He said, you remember when you talked about the Alpha and Omega and you said like the English letters? I said, yes. He, he said, here's what you said. He said, it's like the Alpha and the Omega, like from A to W. <laughs> I forgot there's an XYZ right there. He, he said, you must have had root beer on your mind or something. He's, so I want to make it clear. He is the, from the A to the Z. From the Alpha to Omega. He is the beginning to the end. I like the way David Jeremiah said it. He said, God, listen to this, listen. He said, God is the beginner of the beginning and He is the ender of the end. He is sovereignly in charge of it all, is what that means. When He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, He says, I am charge." I am sovereignly in charge of everything. That there is, whatever has been, I was there to get it started. Whatever will end, I will be there when it ends. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. And I am declaring that God says, it is done. Now, I know there's a ball game coming on today. A little, little ball game of... Uh, called the Super Bowl, coming on tonight, 6.30. Uh, and part of this, one of the fun things of watching the Super Bowl is, of course, watching the commercials when, you know, when they call timeout and stuff. Did you know that, th- this is insane to me, but did you know that now, every, every commercial you watch tonight during the Super Bowl, just, just add this up in your head as you're watching the Super Bowl tonight. Every commercial you watch tonight during the Super Bowl, at three hours or whatever it is, Every commercial costs that advertiser $4 million per 30 seconds. $4 million for a 30-second commercial. Somebody smarter than me figured it up and said, in in 30 seconds, you can typically speak about 75 words effectively. And they figured it up. That means that every word you hear in a Super Bowl ad costs about $54,000 per word. If you say A... $54,000. $54,000. If you say the $54,000. If you say boo, $54,000. Now, I'm about to tell you something that is worth far more than $54,000 a word. I'm about to read you something that is worth far more than $4 million. And here's what it is. Here's what the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega says to you today. Here, listen, the second part of verse 6. To him who is thirsty. This is the key to the whole thing, so I want to make sure you get this. To him who is thirsty. I, who, is, who am the Alpha and the Omega, I who created everything, I who declared it is done, to him who is thirsty, I will give to drink, and I love this, without cost, from the spring of the water of life. 
That's worth more than $54,000 a word. That's worth more than $4 million. Here's what he says. Here's what he says. To him who is thirsty. I would encourage you to ask you to underline that word thirsty. If you have studied history at all, or if you have traveled at all, you would probably admit and, and agree with me that in every culture and in every generation, there are people who are extremely religious in our world. I've traveled all over the world, and everywhere I've gone, I have found religious people. I did not say that they were Christians. I said there are people who are religious all over the world. Every generation has people who are religious all over the world, extremely religious. There are denominations everywhere. There are world religions. There are cults. There, there is lots and lots and lots of interest in religion. And my question is a very simple one. Where in the world does that interest, that inclination for religion comes, come from? It grows out of humanity's thirst for God. It grows out of humanity's thirst for the eternal. Where did people get the idea of worshiping anything? Even if they're worshiping an idol. Even if they're worshiping a stone crafted by their own hands. Where did they get that idea? Where did that come from? It is because within each of us there is a thirst for God. A thirst for the eternal. A thirst for something more than what's in this world. And God says, if anyone is thirsty, if anyone's thirsty, He's offering an invitation to those who sense a need. Those who, who, who feel drawn to something. He says, if anyone's thirsty, to him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. Hear what I'm about to tell you. I want to say it to you very, very carefully, but hear what I'm about to tell you. Nobody, listen, listen, nobody accidentally goes to heaven. It's reserved for those who recognize their need. It's reserved for those who recognize they are thirsty. And God says, but if you will recognize you really are thirsty... He says, here's the promise I'm making to you. I will give. You don't earn it. I will give to drink without cost. Reminds me of what the old prophet in Isaiah said in Isaiah 55.1 when he said, listen, come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Isn't it amazing that God is offering what we really need in life, what we really want in life, and He says, I want you to know something. It's without cost. You can drink without, without cost. You can quench the thirst of your soul without cost. Now, now listen, it won't cost you anything, but it cost Him everything. He paid it for you. Revelation 22, go over to the last chapter of the Bible. Revelation 22, the very last chapter, some of the last words in your Bible. Verse 17, the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is what? Thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, whoever wishes, let him take the 
free gift of the water of life. God offers us the free gift of the water of life for the very same reason we're offering the free wells to the people of Uganda. See, the reason we're offering these wells to the people of Uganda is not because they're religious. It's not because they're good people. It's not because of what they've done and how they're living. The reason we're offering these wells to the people of Uganda without cost, listen, it's because they got a need that is desperate that they cannot meet themselves. They have absolutely no hope of meeting this need on their own. They have absolutely no hope of ever getting away from that, that putrefied, polluted water. They have absolutely no way of having clean water to drink. So the reason that we are offering what they cannot do for themselves is because we do have the resources and we do care about them. They're in a desperate need and they can't fix their situation. They can't get out of their situation. And so we're, we're giving them drink without cost. It's a beautiful picture of what God's offering you too. Because you're in a desperate situation. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't have a relationship with God. And there's no way that you can get out of that. There's no way that you can get out of your sin. There's no way that you can undo the sin you've already done. There is no way you can have a relationship with the Holy God. You are desperate. You're thirsty for something more than this world offers. But you have no way possible of ever obtaining it. Unless, unless He were to offer you the drink you're thirsting for without cost. That is indeed what He offers all of us. The free gift of the water of life. You see, the thing, listen, the thing that qualifies you is if you're thirsty. And needy. And you have no hope unless somebody shows you where the water is. I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water. The water of what, ladies and gentlemen? The water of life. Listen. If you go over one page, probably, to chapter 22, the very first word, or first verse, tells us where this water of life comes from. Revelation 22, verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. What God is offering you, comes directly from Him. It is a free gift. It is not something you can earn. It is not something you have to work for. It is not something you obtain. It's not something you qualify for. It's just something you say, God, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty for more than what I have. And I have no way of ever quenching this thirst of my soul. And God will offer you that free gift. If you just say, Jesus, I'm thirsty, I'm empty, I'm turning my life over to you, please forgive me as I repent of my sin, come into my life, and satisfy the thirst of my soul. Now I want to ask you to bow your heads for a moment, let me talk to you before we close.
just like we are giving these dear people in Uganda drink without cost. Water they could never obtain on their own. God is offering you the water of life just like that. Without cost. And just like we are paying the cost, so it's without cost to them. God has paid the cost for you. It was the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. And just like the dear people in Uganda will gladly receive the water we offer them when those wells are opened. God's saying, you know, that's all I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to gladly receive what I'm offering you. I'm trying to meet a need, the greatest need of your life. But you've got to receive it by faith. You have to be willing to to accept it by faith and with gratitude. So in this time of invitation, you can make this your prayer. Jesus, I know I'm thirsty and I'm empty. And I want to turn my life over to you. Jesus, forgive me as I repent of my sin. Come into my life. Give me the water of eternal life. And satisfy the thirst of my soul. In Christ's name. I want to ask you if you prayed that with me. Or if you'd like to pray that. Come to this altar and let me meet you. Or come to the connection corner after the service. As a pastor, I prayed with you today. I've asked Christ to be my Savior. And I'm also going to ask you... Uh, as soon as we stand up, come and, and bring your check, bring your cash, and buy some more water so that we can put these wells in Africa. We can tell the people there about the living water that will satisfy the thirst of their souls. So just as we did in the first service, many of you, come again, buy some more water. Take the water with you. Don't just put the money in the basket. Take the water with you. Let it be a prayer reminder throughout the week. And so, Father, thank you for who you are. You're the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are the one who is sovereignly in charge of everything. And you're the one who saw our greatest need. You know about the thirst of our souls. And you're offering us the water of life. Thank you for your graciousness and your goodness. May some receive it today. Quench our thirst. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.